to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. Thank you so much for listening and making a commitment to learning. I hope everybody is doing fantastic. I'm your host. I am Jordan Porter and joined by the fabulous Yvonne Brandenburg. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey. <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh. What a week. What a week. Oh, tell me about it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> now I kind of want to hear from you. Do you? Like, how is your <laughs> first week of being fully employed <laughs> by internal medicine for vet techs? That actually has been very good. And I feel very <laughs> accomplished, except for when I come back to things and I see that something didn't okay. <laughs> oh, uh, I mean, if it makes you feel better, you're talking about like IT things and um, IT things are the most frustrating thing. (laughs) I was telling my husband, I was like, I'm getting very good at website stuff. And I didn't (laughs) think that I needed to be. (laughs) Right. Oh my God. It's amazing. It's amazing. The, uh, the, uh, um, the, what are, oh my God. What are these things called? Um, skills. Yeah. Skills. Apparently talking is not one of them that I have. Uh, and I'm going to blame it on the fact that I have not had coffee yet. Uh, it's a legit a, excuse. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's amazing the skills that we have picked up with um, running this business. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, as you know, like all of it is simple-ish. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's just like, it's just a lot of clicking and like a lot of like, all right, make sure that you save that. And like, yeah. Dotting just- I's, crossing T's is definitely a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so like I've become much more organized, which is amazing. And I didn't think I could get more organized, but here I am. <laughs> and <laughs> says the person who made fun of me because I color coordinate my stuff in my office. Well, you know. Don't but... worry, you'll do it at some point too when you've got a lot of internal medicine for vet tech stuff and that you need to find quickly. And you're just like, where is it? And you're like, blue. <laughs> just look for anything in blue automatically eliminates the other stuff (laughs) well and I think that's what a lot of my week consisted of like I cleaned my office Mm -hmm. and like I was screwing like these little drawers under my desk and stuff like that that I have you have drawers Um, in your desk now I do um there's a lot of cussing involved and uh I did not throw (laughs) anything um (laughs) but there was a lot of like curse word curse word I told my husband to do this curse word and like like, (laughs) nice yes um but then I was like I'm a strong independent woman I can screw these into the bottom of my desk but like the screws were so small and (laughs) the desk is very solid it It is it's a nice desk I like it he did a good job and then like, I, yeah, I was like batching things out and social media is the bane of my existence and yeah 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 I don't have a lot to show for what I did but I did do a lot (laughs) oh my god that is well as the person who sees the back end of stuff you've done a lot so um 
nobody else may understand how much you've done, but I do. And I super, super appreciate it. And I'm low-key jealous that, that that I don't get to do it with you because I still have to do my regular job. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm like, ah, someday, someday I'll be able to join you. <laughs> you yeah. I was telling Matt, I was like, the, the problem is, is like, I could do this while also like having another job. It's just like, you know, I mean, like you get it. You right? could if like, you had like, a part-time, I, I, I think yeah. if you have a full-time job, I don't, to do as much that is what we want to do. Um, I don't think you could do another full-time job, which is hard, no. especially because and- you have kids, kids, kids are a full-time job. So well, and I think, uh, like, you get it, right? Like, when you're on the computer all day long, like, when you already work from home, right? I mean, like, even mm. if you worked in clinic, right? Like, when you get home, like, you don't want to touch anything. And <laughs> I think that was the problem is when I was working full yeah. time, like, I was on the computer all day that by the time I got to the point where I could turn, like, turn off my computer, I was like, I don't want to look at that thing. <laughs> like, yeah, was, yeah. And so I just, like, yes, a part-time job would be fine but another full-time job would be like would be pulling my hair out probably <laughs> right because I have goals and like now I'm like all like I am FET and like this is what I want to do and I want to do this and I want to do this and I'm trying to like contain myself to try not to do it all like right this second <laughs> right because like I'm trying yeah like I'm just trying to focus on cleaning up all those things that are tedious but could be automated if we just like scheduled them in advance and like yeah, yeah. yes so oh anyway gosh. that's that's what my I'm sure everybody is. loves all this business talk <laughs> I mean they probably do they're probably like yeah I'm in the same boat I want to do something too but like it is just a lot and um, yeah yeah I yeah anyway yeah yeah but I did post on like Facebook I'm like what do you guys want to hear about and somebody was like I want to hear about nutrition for specific diseases so guess what we are talking <sighs> about nutrition and diseases crazy I know I'm I that that post was pretty cool because I was like oh that's a good idea you guys like yeah comes my up friend, with really good ideas my friend Meredith came like posted about um she like pythium like she had a case that she cured of pythium wow yeah or that she was involved in that, right um, with a new treatment huh. so i was like well shoot maybe we need to redo our pythium episode meredith thank you <laughs> <laughs> oh, i know i've got a couple of ideas from acbim that i still need to talk to you about um about things we can we can talk about but um that is not now <laughs> right uh, I'm excited because, um, so this episode goes live on Tuesday. What the, what day is that? June uh, 27th. Is that right? If I could even tell you what today was. Today um, is, yeah. So yeah, I think the 27th, June 27th. Yes, you're right. Um, so I'm excited because tonight um, I get to speak for the Oregon Vet Tech and assistance organization association um which is cool because uh you know it's (laughs) i've only officially been a member for like three or four months i think (laughs) um but i was really excited because i'm like heck yeah i'll I'll support and do ce so um if you're listening to this and you're a member of the oregon vet tech association um 
come listen to me speak because why not? I know I posted it on Facebook, I think, but yeah, I forgot I I to mention that. it last week because I because <laughs> I didn't realize when when it was, which is like next week. <laughs> so I'm like, oh God, okay. Um, so Jordan's gonna help keep me on track with all my stuff too because she's gonna become my project manager. Um, yes, little, I am. Little does she know what that actually means. <laughs> Who cares at this point? I'm here for it. Um, and then next month in July, we have our monthly CE for the membership. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be, we're, we have to do a little bit of a different um, day just because I think the week before. I got July is a busy Saturday. month for me. Yeah. Both of us With have crazy like, busy months. <laughs> July, like July is the birthday month. So it's like, I have yeah. to be cautious with what I plan because like, we have just all the birthdays. And so, yeah. Just... And I'm at Ace. Uh, no, I just did ACV. I'm at AVMA. Yeah. That's, yeah. I think our normal weekend. So we're doing it Saturday, July 22nd. Um, so a little bit off from our normal schedule. Same time though, 1130 a.m. Pacific time, 230 Eastern time. Um, and we'll be talking about normal cat vomiting. There's no such thing because. That's one of our most requested CEs, which is hilarious because we soapbox on it, but people are super intrigued by this, um, which makes me exciting that we're getting the word out. <laughs> I know. I know. That is a good one though. Cause it's, it's so simple yet. Like it's so like, yeah, I didn't think about it that way. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it's so fun. Well, it's funny slash sad, but um. I, I guess I can definitely talk about it. Uh, I I went to my local emergency slash specialty hospital, <laughs> uh, like not last weekend, but the weekend before um, with my cat, baby cat, because he was coughing um, and I know what coughing looks and sounds like. So I was like, oh, good Lord. Okay. Um, and you know, we just moved up here and like he, I don't think he's had coughing before. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah I don't think so, I ever remember you talking about him coughing no and he had like it was crazy it was multiple days like it wasn't just like a one-off coughing because if it's one-off coughing I'm like oh you probably inhaled some because they put their noses in everything right I was yeah. like you probably inhaled something and you're coughing whatever like cool but this was like multiple days and he was quieter and he just wasn't running around and playing as much like he had some labored breathing because, you know, I know what to look for. And I was like, ah, <laughs> and I couldn't find my stethoscope. So like I did the whole, like put his chest up to my ear and I was like, oh God, I hear wheezy crackly things. You know, it's hard to really identify it when you don't have a stethoscope. It's kind of weird. And I was like, ah, so I took that was a part of cleaning care. my office is that I found my stethoscope. <laughs> nice. I'm hoping I just brought like four boxes from the office into my house because now I have shelves. So I'm just, I'm, I'm like, great. I can start emptying my office boxes. I'm hoping that um, it is in one of those because I do remember putting it in my office box because that's where it was. It was in my office. Um, but yeah, so I took him to urgent care and then we just had our internal medicine consult yesterday. Um, and we'll talk about that during our normal cat vomiting, I'm sure. But, uh, his like pro BMP was fine. So it 99.9% is probably asthma. So, um, 
Yeah. I mean, the great thing like- is, is like he perked up and did great after just a couple of doses. So yeah. I'm hoping that it's just like, and, and that week when he did cough was like the pollen count was crazy high. So I'm hoping it's just like maybe more like just once reactive. a year, yeah, like once or twice a year he'll have it versus. Of course he has the problem though. He's too beautiful to not have a problem. <laughs> like he's just like, he's too good looking of a cat, like to not, he's too yeah. pretty. He's too pretty. Well, and like, honestly, like, I mean, out of all of them, I, I appreciate that it's him because he is very handleable. Mm-hmm. Um, so taking him to the vet, they were like, he was great. And I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> versus um we kept him in a room locked up so that he couldn't get out and run around the hospital yeah that's my other cats it's fine i mean but, yeah. i don't trust any of my dogs so it's yeah, like, well. besides zara zara you can do anything too except for i mean nails, do i trust enough. him i don't know because i was like please just don't don't misbehave but they said he did really well so i was like well thank god just good because you don't want to be that mom of a pet when you go to the hospital that's just super not behaved (laughs) i don't know though i feel like i've worked in like i feel like we've worked in this position long enough to know that like it's not the owner a lot of times like it's i know but i feel like i get embarrassed by my kids like i thought i taught you better you know (laughs) yeah that translates like i get that (laughs) like oh god oh god (laughs) i was so proud because like so my windshield broke uh short story so my windshield broke on my truck because the tree branch fell on it during the thunderstorm so the kids and i went and took it for an appointment to have the windshield replaced and it was like we were there for like two hours it was relatively lengthy appointment my kids did so good like nice. I was so proud that like, mind you, they're like 12 and nine are going to be 12 and nine. And so it's like, they're at that age where they do, they should understand like how to behave in like public right. areas, but, like, so. <laughs> but they're also still only 12 and nine. So for them to sit still for two hours and like, just yeah. Bailey crocheted and Connor played on his phone. And I was like, this is, oh, thank God you guys wow. are so like good and easy and like nice yeah. yeah I was like so yeah I feel you I get it <laughs> so back into this week's episode and luckily we had someone actually request that we do nutrition so this week we're going to be discussing nutritional management of renal disease which mm-hmm. um I don't know Yvonne I feel like I should have made you do these notes because I feel like this is definitely more cat geared but <laughs> <laughs> well I mean yes and no but yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes, cats are definitely more prone Uh, to needing a renal diet. Yeah. Well, just more prone to kidney disease. Yeah. I think of like quintessential cats having kidney disease. Yeah. And I think it's because they live way longer. (laughs) Yeah. Although, I mean, okay, I'll save, I'll save this nugget for later okay anyway so (laughs) we're going to be talking about nutrition for renal disease specifically uh chronic kidney disease and so chronic kidney disease is definitely going to be defined by the presence of structural or functional abnormalities of one or both kidneys um and that that has been happening in that pet for three months or longer to make it chronic right 
And then this is going to be also characterized by the fact that it's going to be irre irreversible and it's going to progressively continue to cause a loss of kidney function and lead to azotemia, uremia, and other clinical signs that can associate with renal dysfunction. So we're talking about actual kidney disease and not just like acute kidney injuries. So there's been lots of research on the nutrition front though for a while now, uh, but for managing chronic kidney disease in dogs and cats, there have been therapeutic veterinary renal diets, and those are going to be superior for these type of pets in, in these situations. And we're going to talk about why, <clears throat> but the key is, is that like these, these diets are formulated to help these type of conditions slow down the progress of them. Right. So specifically dogs right now, I think <laughs> it's like, I told you, I was like, this is more about cats, but for dogs, when they did a study about therapeutic renal diets, the purpose was to evaluate whether or not a renal diet uh, would maintain a pet and, and just be more beneficial for their kidney function, right? So mm -hmm. that, that was the, the beginning of a study. And so in this study, on average, dogs consumed a maintenance diet. Uh, they developed a uremic crisis within 252 days versus those dogs that were consuming a veterinary therapeutic renal diet, they did not experience a uremic crisis until 615 days. Oh, wow. So a significant difference in the study of just being on a standard maintenance dog diet compared to a renal diet with renal disease. Crazy. So, and then those dogs too, consuming the renal diet had a lower mortality rate. So when they did hit that uremic crisis, fewer of them passed away. Mm. And then there's another study. Um, and then trying to determine whether or not the, it was like a retrospective to the original study, trying to determine whether or not the body condition score of those pets played a role in the mortality rate or survival rate. Mm. Um, so based on the retrospective study, it was shown that dogs fed a veterinary therapeutic diet survived significantly longer than consuming other standard diets when they were facing chronic renal disease. Mm. In cats, so same thing, cats, they compared to eating a renal diet versus a maintenance diet for 24 months and then compared the results. So none of the cats that consumed the therapeutic renal diet developed a uremic episode versus the, uh, were six of the cats that, that ate the maintenance diet actually developed chronic kidney disease. Yeah, and it was six out of... Uh, it looks like it was 24 cats. So it was like, it was a quarter of them developed yeah. uremic, which is kind of crazy. I mean, that is a smaller cohort, but honestly, like. But when you crazy. compare the numbers, that's, that's what, 26%. I yeah, mean, that's, that's significant. Crazy. That's a quarter of the cats that developed a uremic crisis, not yeah. eating. A, I mean, it, it's just, it's just interesting. So yeah. naturally they did a retrospective study on this too, right? So just trying to make sure that um, feeding commercial diets versus a, a real Like an over-the-counter, over-the-counter yeah. diet versus like a, a standard, like just maintenance diet versus a therapeutic yeah. diet. Yep. And and 
similar results, right? So the cats consuming a conventional diet, uh, their survival rate was about seven months versus those consuming a renal diet, their survival rate was 23 months. That is significant. That's crazy. Did they say which renal diet for no. these studies? Okay. I mean, for me, I know when we talk, well, when I talk with clients, I just tell them a prescription renal diet, whichever yeah. one your pet is going to eat, because not every single animal is going to eat a specific brand. And honestly, yeah. I'd rather they pick a different Get brand a that is yeah. a prescription diet versus going on to like just regular food and, you know, feeding like chicken and all that stuff. So it's like, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about it. But we do. Yeah, we kind of talk about that on the client communication part where yeah, you're gonna have to huge. try different diets and like that, but trying to stick with the therapeutic diet does, it is huge. going to be the main goal, right? Yeah. Like the goal is to get the cats to eat, but also stick with the therapeutic diet. But why are therapeutic diets so beneficial for renal disease? Right. So mm. In our patients, last week, we kind of talked about calculating RER, right? So we're going to start with, we're going to start there. We talked about calculating basic RER, but that was resting energy requirement. That is only, and that needs to be modified for if a patient's active, if a patient's battling a disease, if a things like that. So for dogs with chronic kidney disease, trying to calculate the RER is standard, right? We, we still do the 30 times uh, kigs plus 70 or whatever. But then we take that number that we take the RER number, and then we multiply that either by 1.1 up to 1.6 times the patient's resting energy requirement. And that's just mm. for, uh, maintenance for their daily energy requirement. Um, mm. so for cats, it's similar. It's 1.1 to one times four or 1.4 times the RER. And then it is recommended to, to do a slow transition, of course, because we always want to slowly transition, but more so just over a little bit longer for dogs and cats onto a therapeutic diet. Dogs, we can generally transition over one to two weeks. Cats, we should try to transition over three to four weeks, just because there is going to be a flavor difference and cats tend to be a little bit pickier. It might take a little bit longer. Um, and it's just recommended to do that gradual increase too, because A, a patient's more likely to accept it. And B, there's going to be a gradual change in the urinary sodium levels, which do matter. Um, when we talk about renal di diets, we're looking at really protein restriction, right? That's going to be the main thing that we're looking at when it comes to a renal diet. And so a lot of times recommending a, a diet with moderate to severe protein restriction is usually the most common method when, when managing kidney failure in pets. So restriction of protein within a diet has been proven to slow the rate of progression of renal damage in rats and people. A lot of the clinical signs that we see in pets with renal disease, right? We, we can see things like anorexia, diarrhea, vomiting, lethargy. Uh, sometimes we can see even more significant signs like oral ulcerations, or we can smell that like ammonia odor. We call it uremic mm. breath. Um, so a lot of those clinical signs that are often referred to as uremia can actually be caused by breaking down excessive protein within the body. 
Um, mm. And so this leads to like a nitri, uh, nitrogenous waste product, basically. And that can lead to the clinical signs that we can see. So, but protein comes from both diet, right? As well as metabolization and uh, degradation of their own protein stores, right? Like, so again, if they're active, right? Like they're still breaking down muscle and there's protein and stuff like that that ends up floating around from that. Mm. Um, but consumption of excessive protein, right? Needs to, that is like meant to maintain normal body functions. But in these cases, it can actually worsen clinical signs that we're seeing. So, mm. yeah, because I mean, it, we kind of talked about it in the renal episodes, right? Like the the molecules for proteins are so big. They're big, and it and it's just it, the kidneys. The kidneys are struggling, obviously already, right? And so, the proteins are excreted through the kidneys, and that's when we start having issues. Is that? Mm-hmm. Um, if there's too much protein, yeah, yeah. for the, the kidneys to try to work through, then we can see clinical signs because protein's getting lost, right? Like the kidneys aren't mm-hmm. able to function at hundred percent. So that is where we think the protein restriction can really help. Um, minerals need to also play a important role in managing mm-hmm. the, the balance in chronic renal disease. So we're going to specifically look at the minerals of phosphorus, calcium, sodium, and potassium. We know potassium plays a huge role here, right? Like, so although we refer to potassium and sodium as electrolytes, they are still technically minerals, but Mm. these are things that we're going to be monitoring with our, our routine blood work. Right. But a lot of the diets that have been developed to help protect the kidneys also contain alterations to those specific minerals just to make sure that they meet the needs of the chronic kidney disease playing a role, right? So let's first talk about phosphorus, right? So phosphorus can be retained by the kidneys and then we can see elevated phosphorus concentrations in the blood. So we call that hyperphosphatemia, right? So the increased phosphorus levels can lead to other effects like we can see vitamin D deficiency. Um, we can see an imbalance of their hormones. We can see um, an inability to metabolize calcium and and other different things, including calcification within the body tissues, all because phosphorus is out of whack, right? So <laughs> mm. um, in dogs, phosphorus restriction has been proven to actually slow the progression of renal failure. So the goal of managing renal disease is to normalize blood phosphorus levels, right? Because again, if we have too high of phosphorus, then we can have some calcium issues too. So with the diet, if we can reduce the hyperphosphatemia that we can see with chronic kidney disease, then we can minimize the other additional changes that can occur when, when happening. So protein can also contain high levels of phosphorus, right? So there's where mm-hmm. we're kind of backtracking a little bit into protein restriction. Cause if we can re if we can reduce protein, then we can also reduce phosphorus too. So again, yeah. that's where another protein restriction kind of comes into play. Um, but we still need to further control phosphorus, right? So we want to do that by intestinal phosphate binders. So we want something within the intestines to bind to that phosphate. So we don't get that increase in that blood concentration. 
And so we really want to focus on decreasing the absorption of phosphorus through the GI tract. And so a lot of these renal diets actually have phosphate binders within the diets to help our chronic renal failure patients. So that's pretty cool. I never, like, it's funny because like we put pets on phosphate binders, but like, I never, it never clicked to me that diets like therapeutic diets have phosphate binders in them too. Yeah. I mean, well, <clears throat> and we do additional phosphate binders is when they're really high on the iris scale. Yeah. Um, because yeah, hopefully. And that's the thing, like, ideally these diets are going to control it. So we don't have to do the additional medications. Yeah. Um, and that's the goal, right? We want fewer yeah. medications for a longer, yeah. like happier, healthy life. <laughs> yeah. Um, calcium doesn't play, uh, I mean like calcium obviously can be, be dangerous, right? We know what mm -hmm. high levels of calcium can do, but when coming to the therapeutic diets, we're going to focus, the therapeutic diet is going to focus more on the phosphorus side of things to control the calcium than rather than focusing directly on the calcium. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Um, so, but calcium levels should be monitored. Now, sodium, I think is like the big one that I think of when I think of like therapeutic diets, probably because I contribute therapeutic diets to like urinary diets. <laughs> and like, we know that urinary mm. diets control sodium, but restricting sodium for our chronic kidney diseases is also going to help things like controlling high blood pressure that we can see, right? We know if mm. a pet has high blood pressure, then that force going through the kidneys is going to lead to more damage of the kidneys. So we really want to control that sodium level to decrease that blood pressure. Um, and then we want to make sure too, because the kidneys aren't going to be able to excrete sodium normally. So we right. want to decrease the sodium levels because we know that the, the kidneys can't do it on their own. So, um, those are going to be the main things, but we also know too, that we need to be cautious when we are looking at things like, um, sodium restriction in diets, because severe restriction can actually lead to things like dehydration from volume depletion. We can actually exacerbate some clinical signs and we can just really make pets feel that dehydration that can occur from decreasing. So you're talking about levels. homeostasis? Yeah. Homeostasis <laughs> plays um, a pretty big role here and kudos to like nutrition peeps because like trying to find that balance, like nutrition is trying to create homeostasis just within a diet. Like, can yeah. you imagine the science behind that? <laughs> like, I mean, there better be good science instead of just voodoo magic. Cause there are companies that I think use voodoo magic instead well, of science. But we like the science ones. <laughs> I like the science ones, but it, it's just crazy to think that like, you have to be precise about it, right? Like, so we know that yeah. probably our renal diets have less sodium, but they still, mm. like, if you look at the package, I bet you people have looked and been like, oh my God, this still looks like a lot of sodium, but it's like, well, we still have to maintain the other balance. We can't swing too far one right. way. Otherwise we just smoji some sodium. <laughs> like no problem. <laughs> I'm not sure that's how that works, but you know, it works. <laughs> you know, it's been like my word of the month. I've just been oh, right. holding on to Smoji for a while. And anyway, um, so potassium is another mineral that we know we that we need to control a little bit, right? But potassium in particular, we need to look at increasing or decreasing. It can be both mm -hmm. um, because renal failure just kind of does what it wants. 
A lot of times what we're seeing though is we see a potassium depletion in our chronic renal cases. So that usually occurs when um, there's a reduction in dietary potassium within diets. So, and then that generally occurs because when these pets, like when we're diagnosing them, they don't feel well, right? So they Mm -hmm. don't, they're not intaking as much food as they should be. So we can see. And some of these guys are vomiting too, like especially before we really start getting them controlled which also leads to further reduction. So Well, and with the, the kidney disease too, there's going to be an increased loss of potassium in their urine as well because those holes that are filtering through the kidneys are much bigger now and they've been damaged. And so we're losing things like our potassium. So mm-hmm. um, some animals though could have a higher potassium concentration, but that is something that needs to be monitored and adjusted if needed. But sometimes there's going to be a need for extra potassium to be added. So their diet to maintain those normal concentrations, maintain that homeostasis. We need to make a shirt, a homeostasis shirt. <laughs> there we go. We do. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. So um, with renal failure too, right? What is like the main symptom of renal failure, right? We're going to see PUPD. So we're losing mm-hmm. an excessive volume through urine And so therefore we're losing things like our water soluble vitamins that we talked about last week. So specifically we're going to be looking at vitamin B and vitamin C because Mm -hmm. we know that those are water soluble vitamins. Well, the body's intaking more water, but also excreting more water. So we're losing a lot of those vitamins just with that, just with PUPD. Um, So, but when we see the loss of vitamin C and vitamin B's, we actually can see that that contributes as well to just pets not feeling well. So we, it can actually lead to anorexia. And we know from GI issues and being an internal Mm -hmm. medicine that vitamin, if we lose vitamin B, specifically vitamin B12 that is absorbed in the gut, then we can see other significant signs that can mess with the GI tract as well. So things like anorexia, diarrhea, things like that. Um, so the goal of therapeutic diets, so is to try to maintain those vitamins with an increased amount of those water soluble vitamins. So that way they can at least hold on to something, right? We know that they're going to likely urinate it out. We want to give them excess because a, we know we can't really overdo it right on those water soluble vitamins, but B we want to give them excess. So that way they can at least hold on to a little bit. So that way we can reduce some of those clinical signs. Um, further vitamin supplementation is generally unnecessary because a lot of the other vitamins are fat soluble. And while a lot of these pets are losing fat, they can still hold on to those fat soluble vitamins for the most part. Yep. So humans can actually have a reduced ability to excrete vitamin A so they can ex- have excessive vitamin A, so but weird. that doesn't exist in dogs and cats yet. So no <laughs> need to feed Decrease. Yeah decrease or increase just just leave that alone (laughs) (laughs) don't worry about that that. (laughs) and then we can talk about acid-base balance too right because Mm -hmm. that plays a big role (laughs) Mm -hmm. we very commonly see acid-base abnormalities when we are dealing with renal failure because the kidneys are supposed to excrete hydrogen ions and retain those bicarbonate ions in order to maintain a normal pH balance within the blood. So when the kidneys begin to fail, hydrogen ions tend to 
stay, right? And bicarbonate <laughs> ions are filtered then, out now. Yeah, they're not filtered out. And then our bicarbonate ions are not reabsorbed. And so this can lead to metabolic acidosis. And we know, we've talked Ooh. about it a lot, that metabolic acidosis can lead to all sorts of different clinical signs. So we want, with the therapeutic diets, the goal is to avoid disturbances, right, in that acid-base balance. But we want to make sure, too, that the body is going to use its own resources from bone and muscle as well, um, just to make sure that we're maintaining that balance. But long-term, that's not ideal, right? Because right, like, yeah. that's <laughs> when you get time, muscle loss. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to lose the ability <clears throat> to rely on our muscle and bone, right? If we lose, if we have too much muscle loss, then like, think of those 20 year old cats with renal disease, like mm. they have no muscle on them. <laughs> like, Mm-mm. so it's just, it's just interesting to me that like, the different things that you have to look at right because like we we know that there's going to be protein restriction too right so the diet already has protein restriction which is also going to reduce the production of protein derived acid precursors so we're already kind of contributing to the like the disturbance of the acid base balance right so we have to be cognizant of that and increase the amounts of those alkaline uh, alkalining agents such as potassium citrate and sodium bicarbonate, or even calcium carbonate in order to help maintain balance. Crazy. <laughs> it's like, it's a lot of science, like in my brain. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just, well, and it's all about like appropriate balances of things. And this is, this is the one thing about nutrition. When we talk about therapeutic diets, like prescription diets, right? This is, so our over-the-counter diets are balanced for a happy, healthy pet, like with no mm-hmm. issues. The therapeutic diets, they're so specific for a specific disease. If you start giving some of these diets to a happy, healthy pet, that's when they start getting nutritional deficiencies or excessive amounts of something because yeah. their stuff is functioning correctly, but we're trying to trying to reduce things or add things for a patient that isn't functioning appropriately. So I think, I think that's one thing to kind of keep in, to help clients understand, like a prescription diet is not appropriate for a happy, healthy. No, I mean, think if you tried to give a renal diet to a growing puppy, which sometimes we have to, like sometimes we have to, because they have maintaining, issues. <laughs> maintaining the renal issues and increasing their survival rate trumps them growing to be an average sized dog. But <laughs> an average, like what comes up, I think so frequently is like, my, well, my other cat eats out of the bowl. Is that going to be all right? And everybody's like, oh yeah, no problem. Like, it'll be fine because it, it, it's still a good diet, but it's not meant for that two-year-old cat to eat out of the same bowl. Like it's not, unfortunately, it does pose a potential risk because a, that cat can't grow normally. Right. Because we have protein Mm -hmm. restriction, um, that cat's going to maybe seek out some of these other minerals that might be lacking from this one diet. And so maybe they start licking a wall or because there is (laughs) some sort of licking a brick wall, I should say. No, I I, usually, no, I know. Yeah. But (laughs) 
balance yeah better. and that's why i'm like you like if you do have to feed like it's not, it, ideally they would have separate foods but we all know that's dang near impossible um but then you maybe like if you have a happy healthy pet um you have like a bowl of their food somewhere else that yeah they that supplement they only so they that can they can reach. like yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah it's hard it's hard yeah it's one of the and hardest think- parts about nutrition or disease nutrition disease specific nutrition right is multiple pets in a household that's it's hard i always yeah. feel horrible for those owners because i'm like well oh my god that would be well, <laughs> i don't know i guess i i consistently feed my dogs all separate i probably could do it now but oh it'd be so expensive <laughs> yeah yes yes it would be like, I'm just thinking, like, man, if Moo got renal disease, I'd be in for it. Like, just his food bill alone would be probably equal to everybody else's food bill. <laughs> mm-hmm. But anyway, um, so on to fat. So renal diets are, right, we know that they generally tend to be protein restricted compared to that of a normal maintenance diet. So in order to compensate for protein restriction, then usually the concentration of fat is higher than average, higher than the the standard normal maintenance diet. Which is why dogs and cats usually like our renal diets because they're... Except for the ones who need to be on them. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they don't want anything. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So when it comes to fat, like on a weight basis, fat usually has twice the amount of calories as protein or carbs, right? So we do know that like these pets tend to lose weight. They tend to have weight loss and anorexia and things like that. So if we can increase the energy density, so the number of calories per cup or can, then um, the animal can consume less food, but still meet its energy needs. And that's the goal, right? Because again, these guys tend to be anorexic. They tend to not want to eat as much. So Mm -hmm. if they don't have to eat as much, but still get a good amount of calories, in order to maintain their normal energy requirements, that's the goal. So, um, however, when I think specifically dogs, although cats obviously are at risk for pancreatitis too, we do need to be cautious in the amount of fat. Like it can't be a significant amount of fat. Otherwise we run the risk of things like pancreatitis and stuff. Um, so higher fat concentrations are not always tolerated, um, and can lead to things like lethargy, nausea, vomiting, things like that so it's something to be aware of that there but then it's like how do you differentiate between is it the food is it the kidney disease they check blood work guys right yeah blood work is key so i mean i think the main goal of feeding like a nutritious diet right slow down the progressive progressing disease also provide sufficient calories and nutrients for the pet to maintain their normal daily activities. And so I think that's going to be like, that's the main, I think one way to kind of talk to clients about it is Mm -hmm. with renal disease specifically, that's, it's kind of an easy one to start with because if we choose not to do a therapeutic diet, the likelihood of this pet being on other medications such as phosphate binders or calcium supplements or other types of supplements to meet these needs is higher. And so Mm -hmm. that client is going to have to give that pet 
multiple meds multiple times a day mm-hmm. versus feeding therapy. Now, again, therapeutic diet's not end all be all. Like it's not like you either feed a therapeutic diet or you either give all these medications. Like that's not how it is. It's like if we can gradually transition your pet to a therapeutic renal diet, then over time, when we're rechecking blood work and stuff, we're going to be able to taper off of some of these additional medications. Or it takes longer to get to the point where you need to start adding those in. Cause that's, cause you know, the longer they have kidney disease, the, the more susceptible they are to needing to get, because the kid, cause unfortunately the kidneys don't regenerate. Right. And so unfortunately mm-hmm they're probably going to continue to deteriorate. We just want to slow that progression and make it that they have as much time as possible with the kidney function that they have. Yeah, Um, exactly. And, and also I, just as just some kind of fun stuff. Did you, have you heard anything about like the, um, cause I think of like the big ones, right? So there's Hills, KD, there's Purina, Purina, what are they? Is it kidney care? Um, NF, Purina NF. Yeah. Um, and then um, Royal Canaan. Uh, renal support. Renal support, yeah. So if you, I mean, those are kind of like the big three that we've talked about. There's there's obviously, there's some other ones and, and you know, doctors are going to have their specific ones. But, you know, we look at those those three really as kind of like the big three. And and the reason that we like them is because there is science behind them and they have veterinary nutritionists that work for them. Um, And I usually tell my clients, I'm like, I don't care which one of these you use, you can rotate. In fact, a lot of times they get food aversion because Mm -hmm. the disease makes them feel nauseous, not the food necessarily, but they associate it with the food. And so a food that they were eating for, months, maybe all of a sudden now they don't want to touch it. And it's, it's one of those things like you can actually, a lot of times you can go back to that diet after a little bit of time. Um, but one of the kind of interesting new things, um, just this is, this was sent to my work email, actually. Um, Hills KD is they're changing their formulation in the next couple of months. Hmm. Um, so Please, 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 if you have clients that have Hills KD right now, have them stock up on the food so that you can do a slow transition to the new diet. And the, oh, that's a good what idea. they're yeah, and what that that actually came from them, but like please, please, please get that word out. But one of the things that they're doing is they're adding um, they're calling it the active biome and kidney defense. But what they're adding is um it's, it's stuff for the guts. Um, and we kind of talked about it. Yeah. The amount of studies coming out and we're going to kind of touch on it. I think next week is our GI one. Yeah. Um, so I was looking into it because there's actually so many studies about the use of probiotics and prebiotics now to help things like renal disease, liver disease, uh, GI, obviously GI disease, but even skin disease and stuff. Yeah. um, That I was like, it is crazy. We should do a whole episode just on probiotics. (laughs) So so like they're actually talking about um, the the bacteria, which we kind of knew, right? Like the GI biome is like this huge conversation for the last probably, what, five, 10 years. Mm -hmm. I've been hearing a lot of talk about it. 
but they were talking about how <clears throat> the GI bacteria helps break down the proteins and stuff. And actually by using kind of their, the, the, the blend of whatever they have, it is, um, it's disrupting or excuse me, it's helping with the disruption of the, the, the gut biome that is being destroyed with the kidney disease, which is crazy that that's even a thing, but <clears throat> that leads to more uremic toxins in the gut being absorbed into the pet. So they're talking about adding this stuff to help minimize the amount of toxins created in the gut that's being absorbed, which is which makes sense. Mind blowing to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, holy crap. So anyways, so they are changing their formulation. And the reason I wanted to bring that up is like, it's really important when we're talking to clients because especially kidney disease, I feel like kidney disease is the one where pets are going to be the most sensitive about flavor changes. Or yeah, absolutely. Because they're, like they tend to be the most nauseous, like yes. just from the disease. Yes. Like they really do. So slow transitions, or if your pet just stops eating one, try another kidney diet first. Like I, when I had my kidney cats, I would have the multiple brands. Like I yeah. have the dry food. I'd have the wet food. Um, some of the brands have like multiple flavors now because yeah. they know and gravy that, versus pate and like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just like, especially with cats, cats tend to be pickier. And like, like Yvonne said, right. It's food aversion. A, you put pills or any sort of medication. Like if someone's putting their phosphate binder on top of the food, like a cat's not going to want that. Like, especially no. most of the time that crap tastes like mint. And, um, yeah. yeah. So it's like there, there also comes like educating the client. Obviously I didn't go into details about feeding dry versus canned because that's really going to depend on the pet. Like some yeah. pets like who cares prefer, as long as they get yeah. nutrition, <laughs> as long as they get nutrition, that's what matters. Um, yeah. Obviously main, a wet diet is for kidney disease is yeah. preferable because we yeah. want more fluid, but if they're not going to eat the wet food, like don't force them to eat the wet food. Like if they want dry food, have dry food, just make sure you have fresh flowing water, right? Yeah. Whatever. And figure out what kind of water they want. Do they want a, a bowl of still water? Do they want a fountain? Do they want ice cubes? Because dogs love ice cubes. So you can give that as treats to get. Mm -hmm. So yeah. But I will say on that topic, <laughs> be cautious with treats that might be high in protein, such as chicken broth, right? Oh, or yeah. Or like just those high protein treats and try to stick more towards the low protein <sighs> treats, things like fruits and vegetables, obviously staying away from the, the toxic yeah. ones, but that's going to be ideal because everybody wants to give their dogs treats, right? Everybody yeah. wants to give their dog a piece of bacon or chicken or give their cat tuna. Don't do but it. Ideally, it's preferable to stay away from that. Um, offer old dishes and new dishes and like side by side versus trying to combine them yeah. um in a single dish we can offer a flat dish versus a bowl because some cats and dogs in particular offer ceramic versus glass versus they have whisker place. issues like yeah. their whiskers touch the bowl and this can change over the course of their lifetime Anything just because they were one way feel, or the other yeah <laughs> because like 
they're going to associate pain or um, nausea Mm -hmm. or vomiting with whatever's happening in that moment. Right. So Mm -hmm. like if you gave them a new bowl and they like the food, but then all of a sudden they just feel funky or they feel like something makes them nauseous or something startles them. Then they're gonna be like, "Mm, I don't know. Yeah. And like with my cat, he was, he was like 18 years old and he had arthritis and he had back issues, but he also had kidney disease. Like I had to lift his bowl up because having it on the floor, like we'd had for years, he had trouble reaching it because it hurt. And so like, it's just, this is where the client communication about nutrition really comes in. Yeah. Because, because it's it's about, it is the food, but it's also how they're eating. (laughs) So it's like, and I know I've recommended, uh, like tuna juice or chicken broth, uh, to add flavor. And I know I said, stay away from like the protein, but like, also stay away from sodium if we can. We talked about how too much sodium can increase blood pressure. So we want to stick with things like low sodium tuna juice or low sodium chicken broth um, to add to the water or the food if needed. Try not to do those things if it's not needed. Like if a pet's eating just fine, like you don't need yeah. to spoil them. Yeah. And and this is when clients push back on that. You could say you can add it, but understand that you're kind of negating the prescription diet by adding this stuff in. And I know this sounds horrible, but you're potentially decreasing the lifespan of your pet. Yeah. So if you're giving it to them just because you feel bad that you want them to have something else, like please knock it off. If you're giving it to them because they won't eat anything without it, that's a whole different conversation because we can't starve our pets. But try not to make that a habit. (laughs) Try not to make it where they won't eat it if it doesn't have it. (laughs) I would like, I would, instead of using like the, the tuna juice or chicken or, or pureed chicken and stuff like that, I would use another kidney diet and just be like, Oh, try this. And then all of a sudden they're like, Oh, that's the best thing ever. And so yeah. Warming the food. Cause it makes it smellier. Yeah. Um, obviously utilize medications, right? We yeah. want to use, um, anti-medics, anti-medics oh, for not appetite hand. stimulants, have it on hand. Yeah. Because like, some days they're going to feel great and they don't need it. But other days, if you notice that their appetite goes down, if they feel a little bit like you know, they're, they're slower. Try just giving it to them and see if that perks them up enough to start eating and then offer the appetite stimulant. If the anti-nausea is not working, maybe we need the appetite stimulant to get them going. So, um, yeah, but prescription diet, it, it can prevent the higher iris stages Mm -hmm. that cause the major problems. Yeah. Is it it going to cure the delay it? No, but is it going to significantly expand their lifespan? Yeah. Yeah. Look at those studies that we talked about at the beginning. <laughs> like, that was significant. <laughs> like, yeah. So I'm anyway. going to say, if you get anything out of this episode, um, it's slow transition. And if you have patients on KD, please tell them to transition slow to the new diet and be, be aware that some cats are... Well, I always say cats, but some animals are not going to like the new formulation. Um, So just, you know, maybe have some of the other stuff in their back pocket and give them prescriptions for all the, the, the kidney diets that your doctor approves, right? Like don't just make it one brand or the other, have them have 
those prescriptions and be like, I don't care which one of these you end up eating. I really, cause I don't like yeah. eat whichever one your pet's going to eat. I mean, they should eat. <laughs> you don't, please don't eat your dog and cat food. That's kind of, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you probably could. I just, yeah, it just being kind of weird. <laughs> so. Just a little. Yeah. Actually, fun fact, my chicken, um, Hawkeye in particular loves dog food and oh, I'm not even surprised. He comes running to the garage when he hears us feeding the dogs. And then so we have to give him a little tiny scoop of dog food. He loves it. <laughs> That's Which is like the weirdest thing when you see a bird, like, because I just learned yesterday that um, my ducks eat acorns. And like, so when you just see things like swallow them whole, I'm like, oh my God, is it going to die? But then I had to Google it and I was like, nope, guess they just eat acorns. Mm, and so yeah. learning birds is very different compared to what I'm used to. Because when I see <laughs> the acorns, I'm like, ah. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's a whole other conversation. It's very random, uh, but um, yeah, yeah. that's what I learned. Anyway, Kidney disease. That, was, that was our nutritional management of renal disease episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. I don't remember what is next week. I think it's GI, but I can't remember. I mean, it's more, it's more food. So it's more nutrition. <laughs> GI, I will say is going to be a long one. <laughs> like it is. Oof. All right. Ooh, it is. Yes. Um, all right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope everybody has a wonderful, fantastic week. Keep getting, keep getting your learn on, and we will talk at you guys next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast. And make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher, and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettex.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.